Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Well, That's a Problem, a social justice podcast on everyday issues. I'm your host, Abby Naraki. In today's episode, I'm joined by Eric Weimer. He's a third-year PhD candidate in communications at Purdue, and he's really interested in political communication. Specifically, a lot of his stuff looks at the relationship between political elites, the news media, and the public, and how those groups influence each other through communication. In particular, he does a lot of stuff looking at the way that the current president communicates. So he does a lot of stuff with Twitter because how can you not when talking about the current president? But beyond that, he's really passionate about labor issues, public transportation issues, and yes, teacher strikes, which is why he's an excellent candidate for today's topic. So I'm really excited to have him on. He has a lot of expertise to share with us, and we have a really great conversation about the need for teachers and their needs to be more visible in everyday conversations. But before we can get into that, we need to discuss some developments that happened since we recorded the episode. So Chicago teachers just voted 94% in favor to authorize a three-day strike. So if the administration doesn't offer them a better deal, you'll catch them on the picket lines soon. Now, in the episode, we're going to get into a lot of what goes into a strike, what is it like to strike, all of those types of things. Why do teachers strike? But what I will say, just to kind of talk about this specific topic, is that the deal that they have been given by the administration, the teachers that is, continues to enforce classroom sizes of 40 plus students and particularly disadvantages underserved, underfunded, underprivileged areas on the south and west sides of Chicago, which drove a lot of teachers to say, hey, I'm going to not work for three days and I'm going to go on strike because it's not fair, it's not right, and it's not good for the kids, it's not good for the teachers, nobody wins in this scenario. So something needs to change, and the only way to make that change is if we go on strike, because all other attempts at negotiation have not been fruitful. So that's another story to keep in mind, and it's something that's happening right now. So I think that that's really cool that we're able to talk about this topic, and there's a lot of current events going on. So just another thing to keep in mind as you listen. I also want to encourage y'all to follow me on Twitter at WTA Problem and to leave a review of the podcast if you're into it on wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I don't know if Spotify has comments, but it could. We don't know. I would really appreciate it a lot. I really like your feedback. Okay, now let's get into the episode. Hey, y'all. Welcome to today's episode of Well, That's a Problem, a social justice podcast for everyday issues. And today you have been blessed because I'm here with my friend, Eric. Hello, it's me. Eric, I am so glad that you're on the podcast today. I am so excited to be here. I'm a huge fan. I've listened to every episode. Yes, very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, of course. I feel like we've been waiting for a long time to do this episode, so I'm glad that it's finally, (laughs) your number is finally up. Yes, it's finally my time. I'm being called up to the big leagues. Yes. Yeah. And now is your time to shine. Yeah. Bring on all your brilliant knowledge. Yes. Can you kind of tell everyone the moment that you decided, like how we became friends? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So, well, past guest of the pod, Carissa Conrad. Oh, big props to Carissa. Yeah. Shouts out to Carissa. Um, She's also my girlfriend. So big shouts out to her for dating me. Um, (laughs) 
Yeah, well, you heard the story about how you both met, and an underappreciated perk of being in a relationship is you get double the opportunities to become friends with cool people. So yes. Carissa told me the story, like, I think I just made a new best friend, and I was very excited to meet you, and we became fast friends, and now, like Carissa said, we go to trivia, we hang out all the time, I love your cats. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell the story about mommies? <laughs> well, so I think this is how it goes. When Abby goes out of town, we cat sit for her sometimes, and we refer to ourselves as the cat mommies. So me, Carissa, Abby, and Kelsey are the four cat mommies. When he entered our house, he looked at both of our cats and said, we're the mommies now. <laughs> okay, that's true. I and tried I to, yeah. lost it when I heard that. It was so funny. <laughs> I try to indoctrinate all my friends' cats to like me more than the people whose cats they are. So I try to whisper in their ears like, yes, it's me now. I'm the mommy. <laughs> I'm your mommy. Love me. Like subconsciously <laughs> picking up the, the messages. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Well, and I remember I was really glad when I finally actually got to meet you because it took us a while. You yeah. Know, I was hearing about this Eric figure and I was like, <laughs> I'm sure he's great, Carissa, but where he at? And like, oh, but where's Eric? And like, oh, he's off doing like this and this and this. And I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, like, I'm so sure he is. But why isn't he here meeting me? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I felt the same way because, yeah, I kept hearing about it and I was hearing about it before you even were friends because Carissa was like, there's this person in my class and she's so cool. And so, <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a long time coming. Yes. So I'm glad that we are able to be established friends so much so that you are joining me on my podcast. Yes. The ultimate friendship is right. being on your podcast. Honestly, I think so, because let's be honest, I never shut up about my podcast anymore. I'm always <laughs> talking about it and always asking all my friends to be on it because I want to be better friends with them. Yeah. Well, which you should be because the podcast is great. Oh, well, thank so you. So don't ever stop talking about it. <laughs> I will try my best. <laughs> Um, but Eric, there is a particular story or series of events that brings you on this podcast today yes. related to your topic. Yes. Can you kind of let us know, bring us into that space? What's going on? Yeah. So last year, people might have heard about this, but there was a quote unquote strike wave for public school teachers. So early in 2018, like at the end of February, the entire state of West Virginia, their public educators went on strike. 55 counties you know, thousands of teachers, they went on strike. It was illegal. So they actually didn't have the legal right to go on strike. It was kind of unprecedented. A statewide strike like that hasn't happened in a really long time. And it was successful. They got their demands met. So it was kind of a victory for teachers. It was really empowering and emotional, so much so that it inspired teachers in a bunch of other states to eventually go on strike or threaten a collective action to get more pay, more funding, better health care, the things that I would think any teacher deserves and shouldn't have to fight for, but they saw it worthwhile. So yeah, this strike wave that's going on is what brought me here today. What's going on with these teachers? That's what I'm interested in. Yes, it's such a good question. And normally we start, you know, with this deeply 
like we start with the problem, right? But here we're kind of starting with this really revolutionary act, yeah. right? And I love that for this episode because we're really highlighting the teacher's ability to be advantageous yeah. in this space and advocate for themselves and to really ride this this strike wave straight through to getting their demands met. And you said that some of the things that they're demanding are things like what better health care mm -hmm. yeah the big thing is a pay raise so these teachers are criminally underpaid um, Absolutely. yeah probably something people are aware of um, yeah teachers don't get paid a lot which is unfortunate but there's other things like yeah better benefits better health care um, better state funding for their classrooms so you know textbooks the things you would think of school supplies Teachers often have to pay for those out of their own pocket, and when you're not getting paid a lot to begin with, that can start to weigh on you. Another big thing was class size. So in L.A., there was a teacher strike, and one of the big points was their class sizes had grown to around 35 to 40 students per classroom. Yeah, so imagine being a teacher, you're the only adult being responsible for 40 middle schoolers for an entire school day, for an entire school year. That's just, it's unmanageable. It's, yeah. Right, and when you're trying to talk about being able to really, you know, address the varying levels of educational success or aptitude, quote-unquote, in the classroom, like you've got students who are really grasping things and there are students who need more help and more re reiteration. How do you teach to that when there's so many students? Exactly, yeah. Anyone who has been a teacher or knows a teacher or can imagine being a teacher, you know, could realize that, wow, that would get overwhelming very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of education research that says being able to pay more individual attention to students greatly increases educational outcomes. What? Yeah, I know. Who would have thought? Right. Uh, getting attention from your teacher actually improves your learning outcomes. Which is just so frustrating that there is this research out there and everyone is like, well, duh, that's common sense. And yet, and yet. you've got all of these budget cuts to education. Yes. And one of the things I was reading was talking about the strikes in Oklahoma mm -hmm. and saying that it's not just that the textbooks are outdated and although those are also issues, but they actually had a period of time where they were, they had to close down school. They were only having school four days a week because they could not afford to heat the facility for that extra day. So they only had four days school weeks. And then like when they were in school, they were freezing their asses off. Yeah. Which, yeah, that's ridiculous. Right, how does it get to a point like that? Right. And how do you learn in a space like that? Exactly. More importantly, yeah. I mean, Imagine sending your kid, your own child, to a school like that. That's just, it's unacceptable. Imagine if that right. was the education you were getting growing up. It just, it needs to be better. Right. And I think, you know, people in positions of privilege are able to say things like, oh, I would never let my child go to a school like that. Right. And it's like, right. But you also have a choice. Yes. That's the big thing is, yeah, a lot of times these schools are in um more poor parts of the state or the country and public school is your only option which isn't a bad thing and shouldn't be a bad thing but when it's so criminally underfunded as it is like you said in oklahoma or these other states west virginia arizona and you don't have a choice what are you left to do you have to put up with subpar education yeah it's not acceptable yeah um and one of the things you mentioned earlier is that West Virginia went on strike and they were actually successful in their strike, but it was illegal. Can you like unpack for us why it's un it's illegal in some of those 
things. Yeah, it's it's kind of a legal gray area. So West Virginia is a right-to-work state. So what that means is institutions don't legally have any obligation to formally recognize a union, and unions aren't legally allowed to require um, employees or members to pay dues. So effectively, it's it's called right-to-work because it's supposed to be putting a positive spin on it but in reality what it does (laughs) is it kneecaps unions it really hinders any ability to have any sort of collective power as workers so because of a lot of that and a few other things having any sort of labor action like a strike especially a statewide strike um, isn't legal in a right-to-work state they did not have the legal authority to go on strike the cool thing about unions is part of your contract can be the ability to go on strike. If your collective bargaining isn't fair, it's not in good faith, it's a tool in a worker's tool belt that they can say as a last-ditch effort, well, if you don't give us what we deserve and what we've earned, we will withhold our labor until we get what we want. Right. Yeah. So it was illegal for them because of that. The reason why there weren't any repercussions for it, and this is the case in most of the states in 2018 that went on strike, is there's just so little demand for teachers. There's so little incentive to be a teacher in a state like West Virginia, where the public schools are so underfunded, that if they were to take any sort of legal action against these teachers or, you know, fire them, there would be no teachers to replace them with. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of shocking. So the teachers used that to their advantage. They really could get away with a lot because they knew the state's hands were tied. If they were to leave that big portion of the workforce and they couldn't replace it, I mean, what's the next step? How do you educate the next generation of kids? So they had to come to the table and try to reach an agreement. It's funny how that's what it took for them to realize, like, oh, the education of these kids actually does matter. Yeah. Huh. Huh? Yeah, interesting. And it's unfortunate that it came to a strike. I think a lot of the teachers were scared, rightfully so. Oh, yeah. I mean, because it is illegal. And strikes are intimidating, and it's it's a risky move. Yes, and it requires a lot of time and effort. You have to be on the picket lines at all hours of the day. You have to be, yeah, picketing. You have to be striking. It requires a lot of time, energy, resources, and worst of all, you don't get to do your job. The one great thing about teachers is overwhelmingly they love to teach kids, and God bless them for that. Right, right. <laughs> and Cannot so, relate, but... Yeah. <laughs> so it's heartbreaking to not be able to teach your kids and do what you you know want to do for your whole life. You have right. to go on strike to prove to the state that our livelihood is worth funding and worth fighting for yeah oh my gosh absolutely um and so i guess as using this as a jumping off point what other what other kinds of bits of information or facts or stories do we kind of need to hear about in order to understand even is there more context that we're missing still yeah um so one thing i'm interested in uh in my own research and just kind of in my personal life is how these strikes got organized so yeah that's a great question i kind of started off with the result because that's the thing worth celebrating it was successful that's kind of the shiny little nugget there yeah right but the problem is yeah how did they even get to this point and it's um it's really interesting and i'll plug a book right now it's called red state revolt 
um, and it's written by Eric Blank, I think is how you say his name, B-L-A-N-C. Um, and it's all about the teacher strikes in West Virginia, Oklahoma, and Arizona. Those were the three that sort of happened right after one another in early 2018. And he goes and talks to teachers in West Virginia about the process of organizing. The cool thing is a lot of them, in the majority of these teacher strikes, they happened in secret Facebook groups. So, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's it's very cool. Um, Yeah, these sort of secret groups where they were meeting outside of business hours. They wouldn't talk about it at work because they knew there were legal repercussions. Potentially, you could get fired um, if you're talking about striking when you don't have the legal right to do so. So um, they started up these secret Facebook groups to organize the teachers. The interesting thing in those groups, though, was it was comprised of union leadership. So they did have unions. Um, You weren't required to pay dues or anything. Um, And then the rank and file teachers. And what that means is just um, union members. So people who aren't in a position of leadership in the unions. And it actually took a groundswell of anger and energy and emotion from the rank and file teachers to convince the union leadership that a strike was necessary. Um, which I think is really interesting. You would think that it's the union who's the first one to say the S word and call a strike. It actually took the teachers convincing the union leadership this is the right thing to do and them finally coming around. Wow. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't expect that. Um, no, I I wouldn't at all. You know, I think I would expect the union leadership to say, hey, remember, as a member of this union or as, you know, one of your rights as a, under this contract is your right to strike don't forget that Mm -hmm. yeah you would think of it as like a top-down sort of here's what we're doing next right Right. like the Mm -hmm. the rank and file teachers they look to the leaders to say okay what do we do next um but yeah that power structure was flipped on its head which um and it led to a strike which ended up being successful so it worked out for them uh which i also think is cool yeah. That bottom-up sort of organizing strategy ended up paying off for them, which was definitely a cool win. Right, which is like also a plug and an encouragement to a lot of these grassroots organizing movements and things like that that we're seeing being so popularized and getting so much media attention, which is awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, grassroots organizing works. Um, yeah, yes. rank and file power is um, effective. Um, yeah. Just because someone in a position of power disagrees with you um, doesn't mean that you and your coworkers can't do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the other things I was reading was that a lot of the strikes that happened in 2018 were drawing influence from Chicago back in 2012. Yeah. Can you kind of speak about that? Um, I'm not so much an expert in that, but it is worth mentioning, um, especially because I'm from Chicago. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, Eric's from Chicago and he's on here talking about teacher strikes. This is awesome. Yeah, Chicago is an interesting city politically um, lately. They've really taken a turn and um, kept in mind these sort of movements. So I think the 2012 teacher strike really set that into motion and kind of paved the way for politics in Chicago to be more progressive and more um, conscious of working class um, people in the city. Um, unfortunately I was, let's see, 2012, I was a freshman slash sophomore in college. So I was young Mm -hmm. and dumb. Um, so I wasn't really aware of it. I wasn't in the know back then. Um, Mm -hmm. since then I have read books on it and kind of made sure I was educated in it because it's a a hometown hero. 
Um, but yeah, a lot of that's a big part of these um, collective efforts is you learn from past organizers. So mm -hmm. the whole idea behind this strike wave was West Virginia then was paving the way for these other teachers. Yeah. They would literally look at what happened in West Virginia and say, wow, our conditions are really bad too. In some cases, worse. Mm -hmm. And West Virginia made it work. Um, why can't we do the right. same? And it doesn't matter if it's a red state or a blue state. The reason why Eric Blank's book is called Red State Revolt is because it just so happens that most of the states where these strikes are happening are more um, conservative, which yeah. is an interesting facet too. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter... Um, if you're conservative or a liberal or a leftist or an alt-right person, um, you can have sort of class consciousness and um, recognize that the situation is bad and you can do something to fix it. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I was really interested to hear that so many of these states are, you know, traditionally conservative, Republican-leaning states. Because I was like, oh, I would expect these, you know, these strikes to be happening in places like LA and Chicago. Mm -hmm. And Detroit even, yeah. um, where there's a lot of, you know, consciousness towards like labor movements and, and unions and things like that. Mm -hmm. And not so much in Oklahoma, West Virginia, Arizona. Yeah. I mean, even when you hear those states' names, um, mm -hmm. yeah, you think um, it's surprising. Coal miners in West Virginia, there is a long history of them being unionized, union struggles, stuff like that. So they definitely benefited from that um, identity as a state. Um and sort of the region they're from. They do have this labor history, despite being in the you know recent past, a pretty red state. Yeah, totally. Speaking of red states, Eric, today you and I are both <laughs> wearing a red shirt. Yes. Why are we wearing red? Yeah, <laughs> great question. I just did it because you were doing it. Uh, yeah, um, so the... Teachers' movements, now that it's gotten more national attention, so it's away from just those initial strikes, it's sort of um, teachers across the states have um, gotten on board with this movement. They started a hashtag that is hashtag red for ed. And the idea is every Wednesday you wear a red of some kind. It can either be affiliated with your union, your teacher's union, or just red something. And it's a solidarity act to just say, hey, I support teachers and um, they deserve better. And this is me showing my support for that. Love it. Love it. Love it. So right now I'm wearing a shirt for the Indiana State Teachers Association. Um, and it says on the back, hashtag red for ed. I'll show Abby right now. Oh, yes, it does. Hashtag red for ed. Yeah, and um, on the front, it says invest in education. Yeah, I got this shirt because there was a rally down in Indianapolis, um, a solidarity just effort. It was on the weekend, so the state house wasn't even in session, but it was just a way for the teachers to get together and say, hey, we deserve better. Um, we don't really have the power to do something like West Virginia um, yeah. for most of the reasons I listed before, but mm -hmm. they wanted to say hey, uh, we won't stand for this. We deserve better, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Um, what are some other things that you think that we should know about the relationship between legislatures and the general public when it comes to like public education? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, first thing is... Um, Teachers deserve more funding, regardless of what the state Re legislators tweet. <laughs> tell <Retweet>. you. 
<laughs> Regardless of what you hear from any politician, um, they deserve more funding. Um, that's for sure. People should know that. Um, something else you should know is there's a good chance, wherever you're listening to this, um, teachers are organizing some sort of action. So I would encourage you to look wherever you are. If it's Indiana, you can look at Indiana State um, Teachers Association. Um, in whatever state you're in, there might be a local AFT chapter, which is the American Federation of Teachers. Um, they might be they might have their own union, depending on what public school system you're near or a part of. Um, I think that's the best way to learn about what's going on outside of what you might hear from politicians or press releases. Yeah. I have another question. Yeah. Why is it that there are so many budget cuts to education? Like if we're all like, yeah, teachers deserve more. Yeah. I want my kids to go to a good school. Why the cuts? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. It's definitely a political one because, um, like we said, these states are mo are majority conservative, and part of the conservative ideology is less taxes. Mm -hmm. And what less taxes means is something's got to give. Um, you can't fund things, government, public services, without mm -hmm. a funding source like taxes. So with lex less taxes... These legislators have to cut funding to things, and often education is on the chopping block. Why it ends up on the chopping block is beyond me. It's completely confusing. I have no idea why that would even be in the cards to cut, um, but some legislators see that um, as a thing to cut, and some constituents agree with them, and so it gets cut. Damn. Yeah, it's tragic. It really is. Well, and it's interesting to me because, you know, last last episode with Carissa, we were talking about um, the equal pay movement yeah. among the women's national soccer team. And they're advocating for an increase in their pay in the to the tune of millions of dollars. Yeah. Right. And it's just such a stark contrast to what we're hearing now, which is, you know, teachers in Indiana make what, like forty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, take out the money that they need to spend on their like all of their school supplies keeping their rooms like decorated for the new school year yep. all that stuff take out all these other expenses that they have take out the fact that they don't work over the summer so they don't get paid the yep. same right and some people have to take on extra jobs so it's just such a it's such a contrast that we're talking about you know athletes who you know like if if the world stopped having athletes, we would be okay. If the yeah. world stops educating its people, right. we're going to have a problem. And yet, the teachers are the ones that are drastically underpaid. Yes, tragically. Yeah. So, uh, w <laughs> yeah, everyone talks about this West Virginia strike as this huge victory, right? And it was, and I don't want to downplay it. But if you look at actually what they won, their pay increase was a 5% pay increase. Wow. And, uh, yeah, 5% of, like maybe an average $40,000 a year. Right. 5% increase from that. Not really a huge no. life-changing amount of more money. Right. Absolutely not. Quite literally the least that they could do. Um, but that's all they were asking for, and they got it, and that's worth celebrating. But it's also important to understand that they deserve way more than what they got. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so pissed about this. <laughs> yeah. Like... Y'all, 
I don't know. I mean, I'm so I'm spending a lot of time right now thinking about one of my bestest friends, Kelly, and friend of the pod. Oh yeah. Um, she is, you know, living in Texas right now, but she was teaching at Indiana Public Schools for the past, you know, several years, and I was just like, dang, she puts in those hours. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. She gets up at like five in the morning and she comes home and she like grades a ton of papers and gives students feedback and puts so much effort into what she's doing yes and like doesn't get paid enough yes teachers are the best i'm sure that we all have a teacher we can look back on and say that person fundamentally changed my life oh yeah Um, absolutely yeah they 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 literally shape who we become as a person. We spend all yes. day with them uh, for the entirety of our early life. Um, and also, we should say that people who become teachers, it's because they genuinely want to help educate future generations. They are mm-hmm. willingly entering into a workforce that is underpaid. Right. They're going in knowing they're going to get paid less than they deserve and yet still choose to do so because that's how much they care about their job. I think that's worth pointing out, too. They're right. Yeah, they're heroes. <laughs> they're noble and they sacrifice already. And then to be just continually treated even worse, I think, is, yeah, it's tragic. Right. So I feel like this is this whole episode is really a plug for teacher <laughs> visibility. Yes, right? yes. Uh, shout out your teachers, you know, cut them some slack. Any high school listeners out there, um, right? Yeah, cut your teachers some slack. Right, like they might not have a union. Yeah, <laughs> and you are the reason they need one. Yeah, they might be driving for Uber after school to make ends meet. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, going to that state house rally in Indiana, um, just hearing lots of teachers share their stories about I work three jobs. Um, to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine your teachers spending all day um, teaching you and then going and having to work another job and then somehow getting ready to teach the next morning. Just seems like right. an impossible feat. Absolutely. And I mean, think about that takes time away from them doing any sort of teacher development stuff. Right. You know, if you are able to, you know, maybe you're getting your master's, you know, part time like taking night classes and things like that. You don't have time to do that if you have to work all these other jobs. Right. And oftentimes those are the things that get you a higher pay um, is having a master's degree Mm -hmm. or, yeah, having some sort of um, certification that normally your work should pay for you to take, um, but they don't have time because they have to work other jobs because they're not getting paid enough to begin with. At their full-time job. Right. Yeah. Full-time job. Yes. Oh, it makes me so angry. Yeah. Eric, who are some of your favorite teachers? So when we're talking about all these teachers, who comes to mind for you? Well, uh, one teacher comes to mind for sure. Uh, Her name is Mrs. Rogers. She was my seventh grade teacher. Yes. And I'm friends with her on Facebook. Yes. Yes. And I posted about um, this teacher action I went to in Indiana, and she commented and said, oh, this fills my heart. I love this so much. Like, thanks for standing up for us. And it just... Yeah, I just cried. It made my, my gosh, whole day. Right, it was, I'm crying. It was right great. She's, yeah, um, definitely the reason I had any interest in becoming a teacher. Uh, this goes without saying, but me and Abby are both teachers. <laughs> oh, that's true. I guess we are. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that's where some of the love comes from. Who are your favorite teachers? Oh, my gosh. I know I have so many. Like, I can remember all of my teachers by name. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, 
Let's see. I feel like my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Myers, big fan of hers. Classic teacher name. Yes. Penny Myers. We're friends on Facebook. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, like Carolyn Jones, my first grade teacher, hey. sent me a card when I graduated high school. Wow. Like We hadn't stayed in touch. She like, you know, sent me a card. Congratulations on graduating. And like, you know, my friends in that class also got one. Like she was keeping up with us. Wow. And again, she didn't use her like teacher budget to pay for those cards right. because there isn't one. Yeah. Like, she did that out of the goodness of her heart and the money in her pocket. Yes. And things like that. And I mean, I had a lot, I was super influenced by my teachers. Shout out to Mr. Crimebring and AP English. <laughs> like, why we read, why we write, it's all because of you. Yes. Like, I feel like I was, you know, set up for a feminist trajectory because of him. Yes. Um, my choir director, Mr. Cornwell, I'm thinking of him. Yeah. Like, I was in choir all through middle school and high school. And honestly, it made my teen years so much more manageable to have a choir program like that the way that he was like leading it and stepping in and putting in so many hours really caring about us yes you know i've had um multiple teachers throughout my and i've gone to public school since i've gone to school even public yeah, universities mm -hmm. um i've had several teachers along the way when i was having a hard time or you know being in the cafeteria was overstimulating it was making me anxious they would let me just eat lunch in their classroom. Oh, that's awesome. And they would let my friends hang out there. I remember my music teacher, um, she would just hang out with us at lunch. And, you know, she would, looking back on it now, she was sacrificing her lunch break. Probably the only time in her whole day that she had to just relax and not deal with middle school boys. Right. But she opened her doors to us and let us hang out with her. And I'm forever grateful for that. Yeah, and that's amazing, especially because, like, no one would blame her for just needing half an hour. Of course. Right? Yes. And, I mean, teachers should get more than just a half hour or their one hour, you know, off a day of prep. Yes. To be kid-free. Yeah. So, okay, these stories are making me think. It's an interesting issue, these teacher strikes, because from a public opinion standpoint, it's, um, it's really positive. People, for the most part, support teachers getting paid more it's a very popular policy um people often don't disagree with teachers getting paid more um so that puts politicians and legislators in an interesting position because they don't want to have to allocate more funds um to public education right they just keep cutting that's their yeah cut cut their, cut yeah yeah but it would be politically um advantageous yeah for them to appeal to that public opinion that teachers um, deserve more pay this is kind of rare sometimes you know public opinion is split on most issues uh, or it's not a good measure and so politicians can bend public opinion in their favor this mm -hmm. is one issue where they are sort of at the mercy of public opinion because it is skewed so heavily in one direction um, a good example of this is I was at a conference recently, and I read in, ran into a professor friend of mine who teaches at the University of Oklahoma. And we oh, were wow. talking about the teacher strikes because she was around, obviously. Right. And she told me that um, Oklahoma, out of the three, Arizona, West Virginia, and Oklahoma, it's kind of seen as the one that was the least successful. It was a little bit of a mess um, organizing-wise. 
Um, and so I was telling her that, like, oh, yeah, it kind of, like, you know, it didn't work out so well. And she was like, yeah, um, that was kind of the public sentiment about it. But what people don't talk about is all of the legislators who voted against raising funding to public educators, they got primaried. So they got voted out of their seats um, in the November election that same year in 2018. All of the people who voted against teachers being funded more um, got voted out. So, Amazing. yeah, which is like, <laughs> hell yeah. Right. But also, it's a really good example of like, people don't mess around when it comes to teachers. Um, and if you screw with teachers getting paid more, the people will respond, um, whether it's teachers going on strike or people voting you out of office. Um, yeah. So beware politicians out there. Right. And like as well, they should, uh, you know, Yeah. like I'm just... Again, I'm tired that teachers don't get paid more. I'm tired that teachers put in so many hours for their students, for the future generation, for our kids, you know, and then have to spend more time and more energy organizing to fight for better standards for the same students, yes. you know, like standardized testing is a problem. Yes. Like, you know, all these like core curriculum and tracking yep. is a problem, yep. you know, all these things that the teachers would never choose to do <laughs> right because they're like okay yeah how am i supposed to assess learning outcomes why is my you know effectiveness as a teacher contingent on my standardized test scores when there are so many other social factors that influence the kids that walk into my classroom yes it doesn't matter how good of a teacher you are um if you don't have textbooks or right. if you don't have enough desks for your students it matters way less if you're the best teacher in the world, if you don't have the resources um, to support you, and you don't have the peace of mind in your life outside of work to um, relax and right. enjoy your time on this earth. Right, and uh, to effectively do your job. Yes, right? exactly. Like, if you're constantly stressed out about losing your job or paying your bills or whatever, like you are not doing the most that you can do to be an effective teacher, but that's not on you. Right, exactly. And that's kind of, that was my sort of moment was the teacher should be the last people that have to fight for themselves. There should be multiple barriers in the way um, to people attacking teachers' funding. They should not have to walk out of their jobs the strike was absolutely a last-ditch effort, and they had to resort to it because nothing else worked. Um, and that's that's a breakdown of the system. It should not. That should not be the case. Right. Right. So when we're hearing that you know teachers spent twelve days on strike or however many days on strike, that that is the culmination of also spending countless hours negotiating yes. with you know their their administrators and their like labor union people yep. trying to come up with and negotiate contracts or negotiate you know increases in funding or things like that so by the time they got to a strike to really to do all that work of of being on the picket line 24 7 blah, blah blah they've already spent so many hours while working yes to get this job done and it has not been done because they keep getting deferred yeah that's really important to point out is all the all you really hear about is the strike it's a very notable thing right it's flashy yeah it's flashy and it's like oh my gosh this has never happened before oh a statewide strike like wow this is crazy but yeah what that ignores or pushes to the side is all the work that went into it the months leading up to it 
even the decision to have a strike to begin with, yeah, a lot of work went into that. And like you said, that all happened while they were working. And sometimes they're working two jobs and also trying to organize a statewide strike. I mean, I can't even imagine. I know. It's so much. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. What else, Eric? Well, one positive thing that came out of it was, yes, please. Um, first of all, it brought to national attention um, the crisis that's going on in public education, which is a good thing for sure. People should know sort of the conditions teachers have to deal with. Another cool thing that happened was there were two sort of main organizers in West Virginia, Emily Comer, C-O-M-E-R, and Jay O'Neill. And they made 2018 time, um, Times 2018 list of 100 most influential people. What? They were on that list, which I think is so cool. That Okay, that honestly is really cool. Yeah, they, they got the well-deserved recognition that, wow, that was such a cool, right. empowering thing that you did, and you deserve some recognition for that. Hell yes. Yeah. Always recognize the people. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm really glad that you are able to kind of bring us this knowledge about such an important topic. And I think it's also important to point out, like, you know, like you said, we are instructors at the college level, but I mean, we're not, we're not speaking out on this issue as members of the in-group. Right. right. And I think that that is important to point out. Cause like you're saying, like we should have all of these layers of defenses before we get to the fact that teachers are needing to go on strike. Yeah. Right. And so I think part of it is, you know, people doing the work and people like us who are not public school teachers mm -hmm. doing the work of saying, hello, this is a huge problem. Yes. Hello. <laughs> yes. So yeah, it should be um if you're that's why I encourage people to get in the know about what's going on with your teachers in your area because um you can use you not being a teacher to leverage support to show legislators that their constituents support um, more funding for teachers. Reach out to your local representatives. I know that's a cliche thing to say, but um, on issues of education, they listen. So reach out, even if you're not a teacher, and say, teachers deserve better, um, and and you represent me, and I say, teachers deserve better. Right, and you can even go in there with the research and the knowledge that we've given you on this podcast, right, and say, hey, public opinion says yes. teachers should get paid more. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And really frame it as a... This is clearly an issue. This is clearly a need. I am here as your con constituent echoing those concerns. Yes. And I want to hear from you. Put you on the spot. Put you on blast. Exactly. Let's go. Yes, exactly. Put pressure on your politicians. They're there to represent you. Um, make them do what you want them to do. <laughs> yes. Eric, who are you following on Twitter right now that would be a good person to follow if they want to get more involved with, like, knowing more about education, staying on the, on the like, what am I trying to say? Yeah, on the yeah, I know what you're trying to say. <laughs> How do I say it? It's you, if you want to be, you know, up to date on all of the news about teachers and teacher strikes and teacher needs. Yeah. Um. One person who I shouted out, Eric Blank. I hope that's how you pronounce his name. I'm sorry if it's not. Um. He's a good follow on Twitter. He is definitely up, um, up to date and in the know on teacher strikes as they're happening. I heard about every single teacher strike in 2018 from him. He has the know-how. Um, his name is out there, and he goes around and helps these teachers organize because he has organizing experience. So I would follow him on Twitter. 
I also would follow your local teacher union. Um, they're usually the ones who are getting trying to get the word out about what their conditions are like, how you, what you can do to help. Um, the last thing I would say is most uh, collective actions, any labor movements, teachers or otherwise, they usually will have some kind of solidarity fund. If you are feeling helpless, um, you can't physically be somewhere to help, there isn't anything going on in your area, they are always looking for resources, whether that's money. Um, I know there was a strike recently where people were sending them pizzas um, while they were on the picket lines. There's always something that you can do um, to provide resources for those teachers, whether it's physically being there or not. Amazing. I think that that's awesome that you're able to provide so many options for people. Eric, I guess in your ideal world where you get everything you want, um, when people are hearing this podcast, what is it like? What is one thing that you wish people would do kind of in response to what we're talking about today? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say um, maybe a lame answer to that very good question. but Okay, not a good start. <laughs> a lame answer. I doubt that. But I, honestly, I think there's just power in knowing what's going on. Uh, knowledge is power. We all know it. <laughs> um, and I think just informing yourself on how teachers are getting treated in your area is the first step to figuring out what to do. So look for local organizations. Look for people you can follow on Twitter. Follow your representatives on Twitter. Um, they might not be reading the replies, but someone on their staff is. Um, so tweet at them. I just, yeah, inform yourself on what's going on in your community. Teacher strikes or otherwise, I think. Yeah, well, and I think that one of the one of the cool things that we get to do on this podcast is bring people's attention to things, yes. right? And so, you know, you're saying there's power in just knowing what's going on. And I think that that's really appropriate for this case because if you don't know what's going on, Here's some information that we have curated for you. And now you can go about your life and start to see the world in a slightly different way. Yes. Right. You can be more mindful of when you drive past a school. Maybe you'll think of, oh, the teacher strikes. I wonder how those teachers are doing. I wonder how, you know, I, I live down the street from an elementary school and I drive past it sometimes. And I usually don't think twice about it unless it's when school is letting out and there are buses everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm like, oh, well, how inconvenient for me. But rather than, you know, I can take a second now and reframe and say, dang, those teachers are working so hard. They're underpaid. They're underfunded. I want to wear red on Wednesdays, <laughs> you know. Yeah, whatever. That's a good action. Wear red on Wednesdays. Um, tweet at the red for ed hashtag. Um, show your solidarity in whatever way you find fun and appropriate. Oh, yeah. And I think it's cool, too, that, you know, we don't have to also go on strike with the teachers to show our solidarity. Yes. There's so many ways to do that. Um, that don't involve us expending so much energy. I know we're we're all, you know, spread so thin yes. with everything that we've got going on in our own lives. But that there is there is a way to bring some radical action <laughs> as well. Yeah, even if it's a tweet. Hey. Yeah. Sometimes a tweet can help. Sometimes a tweet can do a lot. Let's look at all the other social movements that um, have really brought a big Twitter presence and have now become, you know, national movements. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, a lot of the teacher strikes organized through private Facebook groups. Yeah. You know, social media is a huge outlet for people to get involved with social problems. Yeah. I mean, it's a way to communicate with people. Um, and that's the power and everything. I didn't talk about that too much because Carissa really nailed it. But I mean, throughout all this is effective communicating. Having the teachers be able to communicate their demands to the legislators and to the public 
the public being able to communicate to the legislators to be like, hey, this isn't, you know, this is bad. Uh, you need to fix this. Um, so use that tool, communication, um, to enact change. That's all you can ask for. Oh my gosh. That's such a good last phrase. I'm just reveling in that a little bit. So we're going to take a quick beat here. And when we come back, we'll talk about things that are rad. Hey, what's up? I'm back with Eric. Hey. Still here. Still here. And we're here ready to talk about things that we think are super rad. So I'm going to take the first one. Okay. Um, I'll start off by saying that a couple days ago when this podcast was recorded, so I think in real time it would be a couple weeks ago, I posted on my Instagram story that my favorite way to listen to Taylor Swift is to listen to Maggie Rogers instead. And I posted <laughs> the the link to her cover of Taylor Swift's Tim McGraw. Uh, and I, I did this for multiple reasons. Number one, I love Maggie Rogers. I think she's an amazing artist. But my thing that's rad that I really want to plug is... When you have those problematic artists that you don't know how to feel about, but you s- you love their music, and there's something about their music that you just really connect to and you really like, that's, you know, not Taylor Swift for me personally, but the concept remains. Look for other artists that you do respect and appreciate and who aren't problematic. Yes. Uh, and listen to them instead. They're singing the same song, <laughs> and it's probably better because you actually like them. Yes. That's great advice. Well, and because, you know, like Maggie Rogers, she's out there being so like bands off my body she's really coming after her legislature with like all the things and you know also doing a bomb ass cover of tim mcgraw by taylor swift yeah you know uh and i just think wow how much better could life be if i didn't have to listen to taylor swift to get my tim mcgraw fix (laughs) which i don't necessarily need but i was just in a maggie rogers vibe that day oh yeah it's hard to not be. So yeah, my first thing that is rad is opting out of problematic pop stars yes. in favor of super cool ones. I love that. I love it. It's more of a concept than a thing, but <laughs> that works for me. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Um, first thing I have to say that's rad is a writer, one of my favorite writers. Her name's Alyssa Walker. She lives in LA and she writes for a website called Curbed or Curbed LA. She writes about transportation issues pretty usually local to LA, but not always. The best thing about her though, is she is incredibly vocally anti-car. Interesting. Which I love, especially in LA. The fact that she's like in the traffic central of America. Right, I picture her sitting in traffic actually and recording and writing and all this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, luckily she doesn't drive very often, so she's probably not sitting in traffic. I guess that's the point, if she's anti-car, she probably doesn't have the car to drive. But she's amazing and advocates for things that we should all be on board for, things like bus-only lanes in the streets, Yes. protected bike lanes. Uh, we need more protected bike lanes. Yes, uh, effective public transportation, you know, all the things that people love, especially right. me. She's just I mean, a great writer, and um, I would say check out her work. She has a podcast called LA Podcast, um, and it's with 
uh, co-hosts Scott Frazier and Hayes Davenport, who's actually a comedian. Um, he's a comedian I really like, and that's how I got into the podcast. Very cool. But yeah, they talk about LA issues, so check out her work. And her Twitter handle is a Walker in LA, which is so I fun. I love that. Being anti-car and pro public transportation and your last name being Walker is just... You've been set up for media success. Yes. It's just, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So check out her work. She's rad. Yeah, she's so rad. You should do that. Um, my second thing is, you know, less maybe inspirational than following A. Walker in LA. <laughs> but it is a very strong preference and opinion that I have. And if anyone knows me, I mean, I'm not lacking opinions in most things. <laughs> I have opinions about everything. And I love that about myself. But here's my thing, y'all, is that peanut butter and jelly... It's a breakfast food. Yes. And not only that, it is a very great breakfast option. Yeah. Just like, okay, so I started eating PB&J for breakfast when I was working at summer camp. And it was a great option for me because then I didn't have to eat the dining hall food. Oh my God, Because it was yeah. always questionable. And furthermore, it's, it's great because it's also portable. Yeah. So, you know, you can make it. And then take it on the go. If you're like me and often eat on your public transportation commute to work mm-hmm. or, you know, sitting in class at 9 a.m. because that's when they scheduled your class and you're like, I just, I got to eat. You don't have to worry because you had a PB&J for breakfast. So you can just whip that out of your Ziploc bag and keep eating. <laughs> and I love it. And you get your protein and you get, you know, a little bit of sugar with the jelly and it's fruit. And you can pretend that that's healthy. And... <laughs> I also love it because you can toast it. Like, there's just so many options. Oh, my gosh. You yeah. know, you can get different combinations. Like, you can keep it fresh even if you're having the same thing most days of the week. I mean, think about all the options you have just with the jelly. I know. There's so many flavors. Flavors of jelly. You could put jam. You could preserve. have preserves. Oh, my gosh. Marmalade. Right. Yeah. Uh, Almond butter. Natural peanut butter. Right. Crunchy. Oh. Yeah, what is your opinion on peanut butter? Because I love it. I, if I could eat it all day, every day, I would be. Yeah. Are you like a crunchy or a creamy? I switch it up. I also switch it up. Yeah. Because I get bored eating the same thing. Yes. All the time. I have been switching it up less lately because we shop at Aldi and the options are limited. Right. But yeah. Okay, fair. You gotta <laughs> do what you gotta do. But yeah, yeah I think eating PB and J for breakfast is rad. And I think if you're someone who does that, you're rad and if you don't do that but you've thought about it you're well on your way to becoming rad (laughs) you're almost rad right the pb and j is really the only thing holding you back (laughs) from being rad (laughs) just consider an 8 a.m pb and j sandwich (laughs) and you're there yeah just try it yeah yeah because it's rad (laughs) it'll make you rad right how many times in this podcast can we say rad 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 What's your last rad thing, Eric? Okay, my last thing that I think is rad is an album came out, so when we are recording this a few days ago, it's a band called Frankie Cosmos. 
That sounds so fun. Yes. They're like an indie band, I guess. Indie rock, like bedroom rock, maybe I would describe them. Bedroom rock. Yes. Um, if you listen to it, you might have an idea of what that sounds like. Do but you remember that song from back in the day called Bedrock? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can make your bed rock. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, for, when you said that, I was like, that's the only song in that genre category <laughs> is Bedrock by that group. Yeah. Whoever that was. Yeah. I don't know, but I know that song. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that song until just now. And that's not what we're here to talk about, though. <laughs> and that's, that's not fault. rad. Right. That's not a great song. <laughs> what is rad is the genre bedroom rock, which Frankie Cosmos is in. So I chose this for a few reasons. One is third grade band. The new album is incredible. They've never put out a bad album, which is hard to say. Uh, I also chose it because your cat's name is Frankenstein, and yes. we call him Frankie, Frankie and Frankie Cosmos, so it felt fitting. But I also wanted to bring it up because she's a cool, it's mainly one person who's in charge of the group, and she's really cool and prolific. She started making music when she was in high school and just re would record these little song ideas in her bedroom, hence the bedroom rock, oh. um, and would just throw them up on Bandcamp. And by the time she had her first like proper album release, she had 42 albums on Bandcamp. Oh my god! Yeah, so she was just writing these little song ideas and just putting them up online. And people started paying attention and yeah, she started getting some notoriety and now she's putting out proper albums like studio full band albums. But just that mentality, that sentiment of just like the DIY ethics of that, like I have this catchy song idea, I have a guitar and a laptop with audacity on it, I'll just record it and put it online, and now she's like a professional musician. That's just, it's inspiring and it's cool and her new album rocks. Yes. And I mean, I'm well on my way to being just like her in that I often started a podcast and yeah. I just put it out there for people and now y'all listen to it. So if she can do it yeah. and I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. And Eric, you're also rocking the band camp music vibe, aren't you? Yeah. Were you <laughs> yeah. trying to not talk about that? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Uh, yeah, I play, sometimes I play drums in a band called Things Are Fun and our album's on Bandcamp. It's not great, but it's out there. It exists. It's out there and it exists, and I bet it's better than he gives it credit for. Because Eric's favorite game is, I'm okay, I guess. <laughs> Even though he's actually really great, as you know, because you listen to this podcast. Well, I'm really good at that game. I'm okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say that I, I place number one at, I'm okay, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my biggest strength. But yeah, Frankie Cosmos is rad. Bandcamp's rad. DIY ethics are rad. Yes, I love it. Eric, I just want to take this time to thank you once again for being on this podcast. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I have to say it did not disappoint. Oh, good. I hope not. You know, I had these high expectations because I care about you so much and you're such a good friend of mine. Oh. And to know that we have created an amazing episode together is really cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for giving me the platform to talk about something I'm passionate about. That's very cool. Uh, I always knew since the first day we became friends that we'd be on a podcast together. Right, because you knew that our friendship was ready for that love. Yes, like oh, I would love to be on this person's podcast right. when they eventually have one. So yeah, I really appreciate it. Yes, Eric, before we close out for good, where can my listeners get more content from you? Ooh, yeah, okay. Besides I, Bandcamp. Yeah, well, I love content. So you can follow me on Twitter 
Um, my handle is Eric C. Weimer, W-I-E-M-E-R. And I have a website now. I Look snagged ericweimer.com. Heck yeah. So you can check me out there. That's probably it. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of places, so that's really good. Yeah. It's too, too many if you ask me. <laughs> too many. You want to go completely off the grid. Yeah. Just your band camp. I, I need to unplug. Yeah. We go into the wild here. Yeah. Uh, Eric, it's been a joy. Truly. It, it has. Thank you so much. Yeah. Listeners, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.